Let's just say that this reality seems to be merging with another reality. Maybe I've been sleeping with my head too close to the salt lamp. Or maybe my llama pajamas, palamas, have been too tight. But I'm beginning to sense another me, different from my shadow self that dwells within, someone almost walking in my footsteps as I walk. It's a weird feeling, that's for sure. Galinda couldn't be kinder to me as I explained the sensation over cups of bee pollen lattes. Did I mention that she bought me a hive for Christmas? That's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. But, oh, to eat that fresh honeycomb, that kind of waxy, is it plastic? Are you sure this is safe? Little bits of hard stuff spread out on toast. Worth all the stinging. She did not buy me a beekeeper suit yet, so I've been trying to get the job done by duct taping my sleeves to my wrists. But now I've developed quite a rash from the duct tape. So, yes, it's a life of constant pain, and I'm always uncomfortable, but sometimes that's what love feels like. Galinda's been packaging some of the stuff and selling it when she goes on the road, which is a lot of the time. She almost can't help me with the bees at all. Do you know that they just keep making more and more bees? I can't help thinking that maybe I was not fully prepared for this. Well, it's the thought that counts. Time to use my smoker to clear a path through the urban hive and unseal the portal that leads us to the deep night. Friends, hello. It's me, Dale Seaver, and I'm pleased to be with you. I'm your host, your soothsayer, your trusted companion as we sail through this next hour of regrets and revelations. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. We continue our tenth year of broadcasting excellence with another fine episode today. But first, oh, save the date. We'll be back with another live show on March 13th, 8 p.m. at the Slipper Room. Please come on out. It means the world. Also of great meaning to me is if you go over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review the show. It's a wonderful thing to do. And I hope you've been tuning into the special without Brett Davis on MNN, kind of cable access deal. And you go over there and you see what I've been up to. It's been a real challenging role for me as a wellness advisor to the thoroughly troubled Brett Davis and also trying to help out the, turns out to be quite egotistic, uh, uh, Chris Gethard in his quest to reclaim his show. Who knows? Maybe I'll get a show out of it myself once all the dust clears. I'd, <laughs> at least representation. Wouldn't that be something? It's on the vision board, folks. My guest today is the very funny writer and pop culture enthusiast, Carrie Whitmer. Carrie's an editor and one of the co-founders of the satirical feminist comedy site The Belladonna which turns out fantastic work uh, every day. And she's been published in McSweeney's The New Yorker Refinery 29 Slackjaw, ravishly. And her work for Business Insider has been syndicated on sites including Emerson, oh, remember that? And The Independent, the first book, New Erotica for Feminists, co-written by the Belladonna Editors, was published by Dutton Books, came out in November. It's a fine book for the moment, and one that will surely win points when given as a gift, either for Valentine's Day or a nice long weekend. Or just, uh, you know, hi, this is for you. I'm not a monster kind of gift. You know, <laughs> you know, learn from it. It's a very winning book all around, and I encourage you to pick one up for yourself, for someone you feel warmly toward. Uh, we talk about a lot of things in this episode. And one note before we begin, the story of Babar, the elephant, is in fact confusing and not without controversy, as I had an instinct for. As an invention of a French author, Jean de Brunoff, uh, some say it's a French colonial fantasy, and others uh, leave things alone because it's a children's book about a talking elephant king. Anyhow, we get into lots of stuff, including uh, Babar and the new book, so let's go to my conversation with Carrie Whitmer. Carrie Whitmer, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. My goodness, it's been very cold in New York. Very cold. And this, and we just had the super blood wolf moon. I I was asleep when that happened. <laughs> you slept through the, yeah. the wolf moon. I was just letting my crystals charge out there, really <laughs> soak up the energy. I like to, whenever it's this cold, I like to pull up a soft alpaca throw, you know, and uh, sink into a beanbag chair. 
You have any bean furniture in your home? No. No? Did you I've ever? Ne- I never have. Never I have. did have inflatable furniture. Inflatable. As a child. I yes. think that I think the population could be divided into those two categories. Yes. Inflatable so. or bean. Yeah. What was so appealing about that? I think it's because they all had like giant flowers on them. That's true. Yep. Yeah. Were they stickers? No. No, it came no. built in. I I had like a pink, like bright pink one with a bunch of giant daisies on it. Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah. And it took up like my entire bedroom. Oh, well, as it should. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Well, do you like winter generally or is impeachment your favorite season? Oh, I love winter, but also impeachment season, like being in winter is really great for me. Yeah. You yeah. like the cold. Yes. Because I love the cold. You're from Chicago? Um, Originally from Chicago. I grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Pretty different. Pretty different. It did get get cold. It wasn't, it's not as hot as like most places in the South. It's like in the middle, closer to the mountains. So yep. it did get pretty cold. Um, I, I love cold. I hate being hot. I hate it. Yeah, right? Yeah. I hate summer. I'm with you. Yeah. I can always get warmer, but I can't really get cooler. Yes. Exactly. That's the truth. I, I fucking hate summer. <laughs> we uh, we keep the old air conditioner on almost year round. Yes. My yeah. air conditioner air conditioners, my window units are still in my windows right oh, now. Oh yeah. You and might it's seventeen as well. degrees outside. Because you never know. If you get a day it's about fifty five. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and in New York, the way the radiators go. Oh my! I don't. Luckily, I don't have radiators anymore in my apartment. It's a little newer, like updated. Congratulations! This book is doing well. (laughs) Oh my god! Um, It's um, well. I do live in Bed-Stuy, so um, not that swanky. But um, we have the baseboards. Yeah. Which make like really weird noises at night. Yes. Um, So you like it sounds like someone's just like pouring water into your apartment. It's Mm -hmm. like yeah, and then it cracks. Um, a little but I clink, didn't ever, little clink sound. Little clinks, like or like little pops, like yeah, little pops. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but I did have a radiator in my apartment, my first apartment in New York, in Williamsburg, and it was stuck on the highest setting. So I remember one night it was ten degrees outside, and I had to open every single. I had like three windows in my bedroom, and I had to open all of them, and I was still sweating. <laughs> it was horrible, and they could not fix it. <laughs> See, New York is tough. Yeah. You got to be tough to make it here. And I paid over a grand to live there every month. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, uh, luckily, this new book is, as I said, going well. You can get baseboard heaters. You can get some other luxuries yeah. in your life to make it through a New York winter or summer. Uh, the book is called New Erotica for Feminists, Satirical Fantasies of Love, Lust, and Equal Pay. It is. I always forget what the subtitle is, so thank you for <laughs> well, I, I, wanna, I wanted to make sure I got it right because <laughs> there's a lot to it there. Uh, so congratulations on the book, uh, done in collaboration with three other very funny women writers. Yes. Writers, yeah. I guess is how. Yeah. <laughs> and the reception so far has been great, big holiday season. Now you're looking for the long tail. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to like do a big Valentine's Day push. Oh. Then there's International Women's Day. Then we're like, then we can sleep. <laughs> Well, don't forget St. Patrick's Day. Oh, yeah. A wonderful oh. day to educate that, uh, young people. Especially, like, young white men. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I didn't even think about that. But. <laughs> it should be a more romantic and gentle holiday. It should. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it tremendously. Thank you. Uh, uh, and uh, But before we get to that, I feel like we have to also talk about uh, uh, something else, which is Paddington. Oh, oh, my God. You love this little fella. Yeah. Paddington, the movie, The Bear. Uh, what's so appealing about it? The movies are so good. It's like, <laughs> it's like a, one thing I did. I do have a connection to Paddington because my um, grandma on my dad's side was like really into British culture, yes. so like projected a lot of like she would always get us like British shit. To s- put it shortly, I guess. Um, <laughs> Very bluntly and yeah. uh, with a little um, American gusto. Yeah. So she would always get us like, oh, this is what like British kids like. So she'd always get us Paddington and read us Paddington. Well, and did she live there? No. Oh. She she traveled there a lot. She she was just an Anglophile. Yeah. She she loved to travel and her favorite place was um, 
England. Yeah. She was like obsessed with London. Um, so she would always read us the Paddington books and she was like, this is like a Brit- like what British children like. It's like, I think she described it as like British children's as Barney. Um, <laughs> so I was always like into Paddington and then I saw the movie. I remember following the original movie, which came out, I think in 2014. Yes. Um, because Colin Firth was originally supposed to be the voice of Paddington, uh-huh. but like halfway through he was like, I can't be the voice of this like young bear that's supposed to be like a child. Like I'm an older man. Yes. Um. So he like agree. Like he was like, I'm. I can't. We can't do this. This movie's not working. So I remember like following that story and thinking it was very funny. So then they cast Ben Wishaw, who was still like an like a. He's a young man, but he's like a man. Right. Like he's not a. Child. He was just in Mary Poppins. He was. Yes. He's had a good year, and he was in a very English scandal with his Paddington 2 co-star, Hugh Grant, who is yes, Paddington's right. nemesis, but in a very English scandal. They do become nemesises, I guess, but they do have sex. What? <laughs> Which does not happen in Paddington. It does not happen in Paddington 2, <laughs> no. but I did interview Hugh Grant, and he made a couple jokes about that. <laughs> Uncom- well, of course he did. He did. <laughs> and uncomfortable. Yeah, and, and then it- the PR person was like, hey, so guys, can you guys leave like the rape jokes out? And we were like, which ones? Oh, um, I said it now, though. Yep. Um, so I just, and I think the movies are just beautiful. Um, yeah. I describe them to people as if, like, Wes Anderson made a kid's movie that wasn't terrifying stop motion. Yep. Um, because I hate stop motion and think it's terrifying. And Some I people wish really do. It gives me night terrors. Yeah. Genuinely. But my wife, Galinda, does not like uh, stop motion animation at all. Really? She, I've she... never, I have never met anyone who has agreed with me on this, that it's creepy. Oh, well, uh, I was always a fan, but but now we can't watch any of that stuff. I, I, I can't. She finds it creepy. I will scream in the middle of the night if I see stop motion. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. But, no, no, it what, is funny. Is it about the like an, the inanimate come to life? I haven't been able to no afford there? therapy to like figure out what it is. <laughs> you should do a deep dive on I this. I need to do it. I've, I've been thinking, it's been my entire life. I bet that has something to do with it, though. Yes. Not being a therapist or an animator. I think it has to do with uh, something that has no life being brought to life. Almost like a like a golem or yeah, something and, like that. Yeah, and like just the movement is creepy. Golem? Why do you golem? say? I just, not, not I just golem, rewatched the Lord of the Rings, Rings movie. But I mean golem, the like Jewish tradition of the bringing oh, the clay oh, oh, I don't know. being to life. I was brought up Catholic, so I don't know. The I was Presbyterian, stuff. so I don't know it either. <laughs> I don't know why I went down that road, but sometimes <laughs> there we are. But I think it has something to do with yeah, it. Yeah, probably. This, this is a piece of clay, and then you bring it to life, and that's a little spooky. It's, it's yeah. a little haunted. The The movement is creepy to me, I think. <laughs> like the way, like kind of like the jittery, yeah. I don't know. You perceive the time in between the frames. Anyway. Yes. Which, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Paddington, full computer, so you know. Full computer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They, they're doing wonders there. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, you see, now I had, a, I had Paddington too as a child, but uh, he was a little stuffed Paddington, and we had the books. But back then- he was blue and yellow, not oh. uh, blue and red. Or yeah, they changed him. They changed. He had kind of a rain slicker. Yeah, uh, look to him. But I always liked him because he and I had one of those pop up books. Oh, you don't like it though when the pop ups. Have tear. you seen? No, I like the pop up books. No, I know, but when they oh. tear, oh, they get oh, sad. when they tear, yeah. Oh, that's it's so not sad. Good. But I like Paddington because he was always kind of a working class guy, even though oh, he yeah. came from the jungle or whatever, and he lived in a pretty luxurious. He's ha- from darkest Peru. Darkest Peru. Paddington <laughs> is. Latin Latinx. Yeah, yes. <laughs> With a curious British accent. Yes. But okay. Uh but I liked him so much more than Babar. Who is like just uh just real luxury, right? I mean that he's like a prince, he's like a king. Okay. So I call him I always called him Babar, yeah. but we can say Babar. So there is a you're ba- probably right. There is a Babar movie that I remember watching as a kid where, like, the rhinos, like, take over the elephants and, like, all the elephants are prisoners. Yeah. And I still have nightmares about it. And no one can, like, I think, like, one person that I've, like, met, I think I tweeted about it once. And one person was like, oh, my God, I know exactly which movie you're talking about. And other people are like, Carrie, you're making this up. I'm like, I swear to God that there is a bad bar movie where the rhinos are, like, evil and, like, imprison the elephants. And it's terrifying yeah. for children. And I don't know why I was allow- allowed to watch it. Yeah. 
That is, That's is. my Babar story. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and the other thing for me, he always had his family right there. Yeah. Big extended family. And Paddington, the only child, just alone there, trying to make it. And he he finds does the, have the Browns, though. Well, he finds them, he but find- he's still kind of the one of his kind. It's not True. like he has, like, another brother bear and another brother he's bear. He's the only bear in town. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. <laughs> and in Paddington 2, he basically gets branded a criminal because he's different. Right. Yeah. The immigrant. Yeah, the oh immigrant. My. There's many layers to Paddington. Yeah. They accuse him of stealing a pop-up book. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. It all goes back. I yes. forgot about that little crucial uh, plot point there. And they announced the Oscar nominations this morning, and yep. Hugh Grant did not get nominated. Oh, snubbed. I'm not happy. Have you been tweeting about it? Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> limitedly, limitedly, though, I was like, I have somewhere to be. Yeah. I have to record a podcast. I need to lay low. <laughs> That's right. Take a break. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we can provide you just a little bit, a moment away from the anger. I'm glad to. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be healthy for you. Um, now, and Paddington uh, was a very sensitive kid. Yeah. Were you also a sensitive child? Do you no, relate to no. him in that way? No, no. Didn't tune into family conflicts or anything like that? No. 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 No conflict. I mean, yeah, I I have three sisters, so there was a lot of conflict, but it was like, which, like, I wanted to play with that Barbie, you know, nothing deep, like my childhood was great. I have no traumatizing events or anything. My parents are still together, you know. Wonderful. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But I did throw my little pony once at my sister and she still has a scar on her head from it. Because I wanted to play with the rainbow one. Did she deserve it? It was too long ago for me to answer that question because I really don't remember. I remember the moment when I threw it, but I do not remember if she deserved it. She was really bossy. So that, but now it's like, am I, is that internalized misogyny that I think she was being bossy? Yep. Maybe. But maybe I'm also right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Either way, she's got a scar. And she yeah. has to live with it. Yeah. And you have to live with giving her the scar. Yeah. And that's how it is. I, I'm just flashing back on Babar, Babar, whatever yes. his name was. Was he an African you know, king or was he a, a, a colonizer? Because I've always sort of, in looking remember. back, I feel like it was a colonizing thing. But if it's an African king and it's a family, I might change my opinion on the whole thing. I feel like they're probably African, respect. right? They are elephants. Yeah. Not a lot of elephants in England. And the elephants kind of like like that's their land. So, yeah. well, I'm gonna. I just want. I don't. I feel like I spoke too soon. It was yeah. more of a response to the class issue. Oh, okay. And I don't want to have you know. If oh they were yeah, a, yeah. A proud uh, family there. Uh, I don't know. Then good for them. Yeah. <laughs> but then, like, what about the rhinos? Like, why? Yeah, I, I don't. Like, I'm, what? I'm not going to justify the rhinos. Yeah. That sounds like that was real aggression. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, now, I've been uh, fortunate this season, and it wasn't really by uh, design, but uh, I'm thrilled that it's worked out this way, to welcome so many comedy writers to the show, most of whom are women. Yay! That's just That's how it's great. been. Uh, th- I feel like this is the year of the woman on Deep Night with Dale. I are, hope so. Are you having a, a year of the woman? It's early, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, I'm, I'm still it. a woman yep. in 2019. Yep. Nothing's so changed. Happening. So, yeah. And uh, everything's uh, pretty rotten with the uh, whole white male community. Yeah. yeah. It only seems yeah. fitting that a new generation is rising up. Yeah. Feels like an extinction event, which is I- I'm happy about. Yeah. <laughs> For the old ways. Yeah. Certainly, let's have a diverse population, but eesh, this stuff has to go away, right? It does. You think that's what's happening? Do you think it will go away? I'm nervous. Eventually, I don't know if it will go away in my lifetime, though. The way people are still, like, Green Book getting nominated for fucking Oscars, not hopeful. What happens And there? Bohemian Rhapsody, like, what? what's happening? It's a bad move. It's a bad move. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, base all of my, like, predictions based on but f- Oscar nominations, but, obviously. Uh, but, but, you know, Avatar was popular, too. And that is one but of the But James Cameron I've lost to his ex-wife. Thank goodness. That was So little, that was just <laughs> was a little bit. Like it was great that Avatar got all those nominations and didn't yeah. win any of them. Yeah, pretty good. And then his ex-wife beat him. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> 
in the awards. Yeah, in yeah. the awards, not, <laughs> yes. yeah. Not, not Catherine either. Bigelow is great. Yes, yes. Um, but, uh, you know, my Uncle John asked me over the holidays, knowing that I love comedy, who would be my top comedian of all time? And I bring this up because I wanted desperately to shout out a woman's name, uh, but it just didn't come to me, you know? And it's just, I mean, a fine, marvelous Mrs. Maisel, <laughs> you know? But Joan Rivers, I... I, I but she's not the one for me. You know, yeah. they were great people. Phyllis Diller, Carol Burnett, go, you know, you can go down the, the list. But it, it's personal who becomes our sort of comedy it heroes. Really is. And it's shaped by what opportunities people are given. Yeah. I probably wouldn't say a woman. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, yeah. I ended up with Jack Benny, which I feel like mm. is fine, but. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I like, I, I guess I could say Maria Bamford. Bamford. Yeah. But I don't connect to her as much as I connect to someone like John Mulaney. Yeah, which is so go. weird because like I, I, I have a, like a, I actually do have a lot of things in common with John Mulaney. I think I relate to him a lot because he talks a lot about his Catholic upbringing, um, and like I think like similar family stuff um, that I relate to. But I don't have like a female comedian that I feel like that about, even though I like a lot of them. Or who has made such an impression that it's like this is the greatest yeah. one of all time? I, it's I. I yeah, I guess a Joan Res- Rivers is someone that I liked, but I wasn't as into her fashion police era. <laughs> mean. Yeah, really mean. Yeah. yeah. Like built on putting people down. Yes, not my brand. No, <laughs> no. But also, even in the beginning, built on putting her herself down a little bit. Which, that's what I loved. Yeah, but that's a, that's a hard thing. To, that's it's what really like, hard. Uh, Hannah Gadsby was saying, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. We've been put down too much. I, I want to work on something else that lifts people up. Yeah, it's a, a, a. I think a lot of comedy is like either putting yourself down or putting other people down, and yeah. it's really hard to do that all the time for your job. I feel like you've been successful in the book, though, at finding some middle ground there. I, I, I think so, too. Maybe satire yeah. is a place where it's kind of a safe between those two. Yeah, but so satire, I think, is like really hard to like come up with that middle ground. Like, that's a neurotica for feminists is like the first, like, really satire that I've like felt like is really successful in that way. Like, I've written like other things that are like clearly like attacking someone or like making fun of myself. Um, but this is like very like it's bringing something up, um, that's serious and important, but also it's funny and light. Um, but it's really hard to get there. Yeah, I remember early days of Twitter. I, I would start watching The Bachelor or something, and you kind of put people down. That's mm-hmm. what the whole thing was. And at a certain point, I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I don't want to do this. And, I, and sometimes you step in it, and you, you go too far. But everybody's just doing that. Yeah, I don't like The Bachelor Twitter, anymore, but... even though I still do watch it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I, they, they, what, what, they need one more person piling on. Yeah, no. no, they don't. And <laughs> no. they definitely don't need me piling. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't need me either. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Um, now, uh, did I read correctly? You went to Savannah for college. Yes. Okay. For writing. Yes. Interesting. Uh, to the Savannah College of Art and Design. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And it's a strange place, Savannah. It's strange. Isn't it? It's great, and I miss it, but yeah. it's really weird. It's a really weird uh, th- one of the places in America that I think it's um, uh, layered with its history and complicated. It's in its bones that it's oh, odd. Yeah. It's um, like it was a clump of that Spanish moss that just fell from a tree on a stormy night and took root and grew in a very odd way across the bricks. Yeah. It's unsettling. It's it's what the most unsettling thing about it to me was that like some of the blocks that have like million dollar townhouses could be next to the most dangerous block in the city. Oh yeah. Like just steps away. Like it's, it's wild and I've never been anywhere like that ever again (laughs) in my life. When I was walking down the street at night, I distinctly recall, you know, warm evening looking down and the sidewalk was moving because of so many large cockroaches that were skittering (sighs) about I've never seen that anywhere it's, else. There's and huge cockroaches. It's huge. it's wild. They're <laughs> everywhere. Like in the summer, like you have to like kind of like 
watch your feet if you're wearing sandals or something because there will be one that yeah. like walks across your feet. Oh yeah, while you're moving, you you could uh, be forgiven for mistaking them as a frog or something. Yes. they're that large. Absolutely. <laughs> one one thing I did appreciate about Savannah though was that there are lots of like little lizards yeah. that would get into your apartment, but you'd want to keep them there because they eat all the bugs. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'd get a little lizard now. I know. They're so cute. Like, there was one that basically lived in my room for, like, a month, and oh. he, like, ate all of the stuff, and, all and, of the bugs. And was it a good experience uh, going to that school for writing? Not necessarily something I would think of for that place. Yeah. So, I I loved it. Um, I was in the second class that graduated in that program, so it was really new and really small, and most of the classes were um, combined with grad students so I felt like I kind of got like a grad school education at the same time because um, it was basically grad school classes but all undergrads were graded on a different scale um, so I was in classes with like really experienced people who were taking it very seriously so then like I was like I need to do that um, <laughs> right. and the school is expensive um, but I actually originally went to study film and production design oh, I, I took a film class and I was like oh my god I can't be surrounded by all of these condescending men um <laughs> yeah, that and even problem. my female professor was like you know like women don't really make it as directors like and I was like okay well what else do I like that I can do at this school because I really liked living in Savannah and I liked the school and you were there uh, yeah and so I was like you know I've always been good at writing um, so I was like, do they have a writing program? And then I found out that they did. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, Savannah, of course, you got Flannery O'Connor. Yeah. Who had long history there. Uh, oh, yeah. She, she might be somebody I'd list as a favorite comedian. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> her, her stories shock me every time. Yeah. I never see the tragedy coming. I don't either. I, I, it's, a, it's a neat trick. I did not read her until college. Like, I had never... Yeah. Like, I knew who she was, but um, I didn't read her until, like, one of my writing classes, and I was just, like, floored. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's just I amazing. loved it, but... And I, for a time, like, wanted to be that kind of writer, but I tried, and I was like, this is definitely not who I am. Oh, well, I think you have to be a product of the South. Yeah. Uh, to 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 nail that. Yeah. I was like, my life has never been tra tragic enough for me to write like this. <laughs> right. right. You have to have a pretty a solid uh, love of, of darkness. Yeah. Like, like you have to, yeah, you have to love the darkness enough or you have to have experienced it. And yeah. I'm like, I'm not either of those. Yeah. And uh, did you love Savannah? Did you think about staying there? Not really. No. Um, to me, it felt more like a place for me to live temporarily. Um, like, I loved it, but I wouldn't want to live there permanently, I guess. And the writing that you were doing, was it already uh, had a comedy uh, oh, for sure. thread to it? I mostly wrote, like, oh, God, they're probably so bad, like, personal essays about the guys that I slept with. <laughs> you know? Like, so stupid. Uh, but, but they fun, were funny. But funny. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what, like, my pro professors would be like, you know, you're, the best thing about this is that it's very funny like there's a lot of really good jokes here yeah um and like the specific things that you like think of like you write about and like remember are very funny so that's kind of what and I always like wanted to do comedy in some way like when I was a kid I just like didn't know that that's something you could do as a job yeah sure. like I just thought SNL just happened like you don't like when you're a kid you don't think oh like there's obviously a room of writers that write this like in <laughs> late night you kind of think that like Conan O'Brien was like my favorite late night person yeah um like he's honestly how I got into comedy so I was like like you just kind of assume that Conan O'Brien just like says it like you don't think oh like a bunch of like like 15 white guys from Harvard like wrote all these jokes, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> the early days of that show were fantastic. They were great. It was so awkward. Yeah. And Andy Richter saved that show I think more times than I can count. He was great. They they're great. <laughs> they were... I I actually I haven't really watched Conan since he was on TBS, yeah. which I feel bad about because yep. I feel like I kind of betrayed him. Yep. Um because I felt like so I was like so passionate for him, like during the oh, I just hit that during the Tonight Show debacle, yeah, um, of like two thousand nine. 
Is that 10 years ago? Oh my it God. could be, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think I'll start watching his half hour. Yeah. Now that it's only half hour. And it <laughs> seems like, and I've read this like devastating New York Times um, interview with him. Oh, yeah. Did you read that? Where <laughs> yeah. he was like, no one visits your grave. None of this matters. And I'm like, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to watch your half hour show now. <laughs> but uh, he was a kind of spark for you. But when you got to New York, how quickly did you find the the team of the like Belladonnas and all that? Oh, it took a while. Took a um, while. I moved to New York in 2013. Okay. My goal was to do a bunch of stand up and go to open mics all the time. Had you been I, doing that in Savannah? No. No. I had not. Wow. Yeah, I never did it. Um, so I I had like some breaks between college. I lived at home for a long time because I couldn't get a job. Um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. That was a tough job market for a yeah. lot of people coming out of college. Yeah. You did. So yeah. I had a lot of time to watch TV shows. Yep. I watched The Sopranos. I watched The Wire. I watched Deadwood. Oh, um, Deadwood. Yeah. That's a good one. It was great because I like, I mean, it wasn't <laughs> great. I was very depressed um, and genuinely wanted to die. But I got to watch all those shows because I didn't have a job. People are like, oh, how did you get through this so fast? I'm like, I don't have any friends like i don't go anywhere <laughs> this is all i do we got hbo um, yeah yes um and i was in boston briefly then i came to new york um i worked in advertising for a little bit in boston in boston yeah. and i was just like no to all of this <laughs> um so i came i did like some open mics and it really freaked me out and like just like the atmosphere kind of made me uncomfortable um and I didn't really have any friends yet in comedy, mm -hmm. so it was really hard. So I kind of just worked at a Ooh. restaurant. And I, I feel wrote... like I've, it makes my stomach queasy when you describe that. Yeah. Not having friends going to open mics. Yeah. Uh. It was really hard. <laughs> um, I have never done it, and I don't want to do it. Yeah. It, it was hard. And I'm, just like the like material you hear it, yes. people do, I'm just oh. like, oh, my God, I can't put myself through this just so I can, like, maybe get a TV writing job out of this. Yeah. Because stand-up was never, like, what my goal was. Like, I never wanted to be a stand-up. It was just like, how do I get myself out there? Um, yeah. So then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start, like, writing pieces online because that's what I enjoy the most. So I just started doing that. And it took off. Yeah. So um, in late 2016, I posted in a private um, Facebook group for female comedy writers in New York. Mm -hmm. um, does anyone want to start a website? Because Reductress would never accept me. Um, I was having a hard time getting into McSweeney's and like a lot of like sites like Reductress and The Onion and ClickHole like mostly have staff writers. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty hard. Reductress has like widened their pool a little bit, but it's still not a voice that's really mine. Um, it's not, and the New Yorker is also like a very specific voice to nail. Not everyone can do it, and I don't think I'm my best when I write in those voices. Yeah. So I was like, does anyone want to start a site like for like bringing more women into comedy? And these three women responded, and that's how we started our website, The Belladonna. And then a year later, we got a book deal. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, so it took say. a couple years. It took yeah. more than a couple years <laughs> yeah. um, to really uh, get uh, my footing in comedy, but now it's like this is greater than I, and I'm further than I ever thought I would be at this point. Sure, yeah. yeah. Well, that's terrific, and that's what it is. You have to find your community, and sometimes you have to bring them to you. Yeah, well, I think what we did was, which I never really imagined, even when I was like, let's found a web find found a website. I guess is that the right word? Um, we like created a community now, mm -hmm. which I didn't think was going to happen out of it. Which is, I should have expected that, but... Well, it's hard to see from the beginning. Yeah. More immediate goals. Yeah. But, you know, I've been fortunate now to... Uh, I talked to uh, Alana Glazier the day that Broad oh. City got picked up, and I've seen the arc of that thing. I talked to the reductress uh, ladies, like, almost right after they founded that and seen wow. how that's gone. It has been remarkable, at least from my position, to see how these things take hold in the culture and I think shift things in yeah. real, real ways. Uh, not to overstate what a comedy show can do or a website can do, but uh, I think it has opened up to more voices, more creative ideas. It kind of, there has been a shift in uh, comedy. Yeah. And now I look at the folks out there today and it is different. It's weirder. It's queerer. It's um, yeah. uh, uh, certainly more diverse than it was 
um, some of those mics may still be there. Yeah, <laughs> still be I, the I think like sta- I uh, sadly I think like stand up is always going to be the same. Well, it's changing though. Yeah, there, there are certainly enough shows in New York that you can there go are. to where it would be. It, but there weren't when I first moved here. Like yeah. this was now like five years ago. Yeah. In 2013, there weren't that many female only open mics. Like I couldn't like find yeah. them. Yeah, that's probably that's true. Yeah. Yes, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But you're telling me it. I believe you. Now, the book. Yes. It came out last year. Late last year. Well, November 13th. November 13th. The same day as Becoming by Michelle Obama. Oh, well, that's. So were they next to each other? And Jeff Tweedy's book. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which was the same same publisher. Oh. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Well, same. So ours is like a small imprint of the publisher. So um, my publisher is Plume, which is like a feminist, um, small feminist imprint of Dutton, which is part of Penguin Random House. So Jeff Tweedy's book was Dutton. I love how everything's it's basically so, two companies. It's Well, it's basically three. <laughs> yeah. It's so confusing. <laughs> um, uh, now, the, the book, uh, it highlights the fact that throughout history, uh, women have not been given the platform or the respect that they deserve. That's I love that. Yeah. Well, where did that start? Was um, it just like one Greek, you know, Yahoo that uh, said uh, th- these stories don't matter, these voices it, don't matter? Was it a monk? Was it uh, the uh, move into agriculture? It was <laughs> whoever wrote the Bible, I think, yeah, well, and made that Adam and Eve story up. Yeah, I feel like it's whoever sold the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whichever it, publisher. Yeah, yep. Whichever like uh, third imprint under the yeah. Yeah. probably Dutton, probably, probably. some subsidiary. <laughs> <laughs> but it's I mean it had to it had to be some point in history. Yeah. But we were all equal. We were all doing the the work. We were all fine. People I think told it's Adam stories. And Eve. You think they branded like Eve as evil, yeah. and then like everyone's like, oh, like a wo- a woman's like the temp- the one who's going to give in to temptation or that's whatever. A, a, She's going to talk to the snake. See, that's why I think it's one of these apostles. Maybe was I don't know. Maybe they were frustrated. Maybe they had some feelings of their own. Yeah, maybe I don't know which apostle it was, but I feel like it probably wasn't Judas. <laughs> no, he had his I own thing going I kind of trust him. <laughs> I always had like a even like. At Catholic school, always had a soft spot for Judas. Yeah. He was looking out for himself. He had a lot of self-agency. Yeah. Uh, he took things into his own hands. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I yeah. don't think Judas is responsible We've been for reading this making wrong. women not equal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, he's he's off the hook. Yeah. <laughs> Makes me look at his Last Supper a little differently now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, it's certainly problematic. And it, this one, yeah. the book brings it home, I think. And there's so many great uh, uh, pieces from it. And I don't know if we could, could we read one? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. You know what? I didn't know if we could read them together, but that might be too complicated. And it's not that this book needs a, a male narrator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to pick one? Yeah. You probably know the pages can... better than I do. I like oh, something I in the 30. And you get into I a like whole... to. Yeah, there's a couple that read well. Oh, good. I like that it's divided into things. You can get sort of a, a historical ones. You can get the. Uh, Give me a chapter. Oh, like I, which... I, I well, I thought I like the historical one that oh, was in there. Oh, okay. Uh, you talk about Adam and Eve in one of those. That one's long, it's so long. I'll skip that one. I'll I'll pick a historical one. Yeah, the Adam and Eve one's a little long. A little um, long. Ooh. And you have one that's sort of pop culture, and you have yes. those different segments. There's one on parenting. Uh, some of those are. Oh, I'll do this one. I wrote this one. Okay, good. Uh, Or, well, I'll just say, like, since it was written by four people, um, it was kind of like we all wrote on our own, and we shared, like, a Google Doc, and we would all just, like, kind of improve each other's ideas. So I can say, like, oh, I wrote this one. I just mean, like, this was originally my idea, and my co-authors, like, made it so much better than it originally was. Um, Okay. Yes, yes, almost there. Yes, her partner screams. The light flickers, reflecting the frantic excitement in the air. As the room gets darker, it gets warmer and wetter. The candles reflect the sweat off their glistening muscles as they approach the climax. But she can't stop now. After all this time, she's done it. With the help of her brilliant partner, she's finally reached her life goal. 
all that they've worked for for nearly a decade. The historians finally have discovered the true meaning of Stonehenge, an advanced calendar built by ancient Druid priestesses to track their periods. <laughs> and, and a lot of the ones, they go in the, the direction of kind of like uh, hot and heavy, yeah. steamy, maybe a little porny, and then they, they, they land it with a real point. Let says, me tell you. Yeah. I read a lot of erotica for this. So, like, all my co-authors would, like, start with, like, the feminist, like, point of it, you know? Yeah. Um, like, what they were trying to get across. And I was like, I'm going to start with erotica and then see how I can spin it. So I read a lot of erotica. Then <laughs> you, you had to back back away, yeah. back into it, I guess. Yeah, but I think reading erotica kind of helped me be like, here are, like, these common things, like, in erotica that are actually problematic. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of bodices. Yeah, a lot of like a voyeur is like very I actually wrote one that was like inspired by voyeur that's in a historical section um <laughs> that was like the joke is that the guy who like basically started the Salem witch trials yes. sees a bunch of women dancing naked in front of a bonfire and his take is that like all women are beautiful no matter what size they are and he doesn't say anything and he just leaves <laughs> right yeah <laughs> and there's a lot of great ones about uh we're just going to endlessly promote you. Things about the workplace, right. things yeah. that are, end up being a point of like a kind of modern uh, right perspective on how things should be, mm -hmm. which is uh, uh, whether that ends up being erotic or not, <laughs> it certainly is a, uh, a fine thing to dream about. Yeah, there's there's one um, that a lot of people have commented on um, that says um, Congress is now 50-50. Um, and someone was like, well, why wouldn't you make it like Congress is 100% women? And we were like, honestly, we didn't even think that was possible. That didn't even come to us. And that's really sad. Like, it's yeah. sad that even in this book that's supposed to be like feminist fantasies, like we didn't even think that it could even like it didn't even occur to us that we could just be like Congress is all women. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. But it could be. It could be. But could we didn't be. even. We're like didn't that. Didn't let your fantasy go that it far. It didn't even occur to us. Yeah. 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 And so many of the time when you're talking about some of the pop culture things, too, you realize how many of those. Like there's one about Lolita or one of these. Yeah. That just so much of the male perspective is the canon. Yes. Is 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 everything. Absolutely. And I, so many of the other voices. Uh, are just lost. Yeah, the Lolita one was really hard because we felt like it was really important to get Lolita in the book because it's like one of the most, you know, like respected like pieces of literature. Yeah. But it's you know, it like glorifies a really horrible male protagonist. Absolutely. Um and just like really underscores like a child like a female child's experience. Um so a, a lot of what happened to us when we were writing was that like we'd come up with like a Lolita idea and like I think I like I came up with one about Princess Leia when she's like a captive of Jabba the Hutt she's yes. wearing a really reasonable and comfortable outfit a cardigan I think yeah a, a sensible yeah. cardigan um and high-waisted pants um so it was just really eye-opening like once we thought of the obvious ones then we would think of ones that weren't as obvious to yeah. us like oh my god like I, I like one um that I thought of with that I wrote um is about the great Gatsby Jordan Baker who is like a side character who's just like kind of pushed aside by everyone she's a professional golfer in the 1920s <laughs> like that's fucking awesome why isn't the book about Jordan Baker yeah. that is so cool and she's like a really cool she seems she's like the only person in that book that I would ever hang out with that I ever want to read about or be around. I love that book, but and Nick Haraway, the protagonist, treats her like shit. Like he's basically a fuck boy to her. Right. Um so that one has been a popular one. Um <laughs> And it's not that you want to give any more credence to those uh, stories that are there and just say that's all. Like, you, I mean, you certainly want original narratives out there as well. Yeah. But, my gosh, you could make so many books just from all the other people that uh, – from a different perspective, shifting it slightly. Yeah. And showing, you know, this guy not always cracked up to be. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's enough characters out there where you can even – I mean, Romeo and Juliet. Oof. It's it's uncomfortable. It's always been uncomfortable to me. That Zeffirelli uh, movie is that what his name is? The oh. the like famous like Italian version of it. Oh, and, and I don't it's, think. It's yeah, 
they show it to you in school. You're like, what are, you, what are, what are we seeing? These are like yeah. teenagers. Well, it's like all of these stories that you read in school. It's like your first introduction into like basically adult life. So you're yeah. all of these stories are projecting onto men and women who are at impressionable ages. Like all of these like bad ideas of what women are supposed to be and what men are supposed to be. Yeah. So it was like I was realizing all of these things like even more than I already was as a feminist. So like I, I it just got deeper for me. I was like, oh, wait, like I have internalized misogyny because of this and stuff. Like, like I think we have one about um, Paris and Helen of Troy. Yeah. And I remember like as a teenager, I was really into Greek mythology and I'd be like, Helen of Troy is a, such a like dumb bitch like that you know but that's because that's what the story like show you it was just like she was hot right that's her only purpose which is really really sad and it's sad that that is something that i fell for yes yes that it has to be some kind of uh that they're a plot point yeah they're nothing more than that in some cases and sometimes it's uh trauma against women that then drive the whole story we really wanted to get a Jane Eyre one in the book, but there is so, I mean, Jane Eyre is just like, the whole book is just like, here's a thing where Jane Eyre is traumatized. She's traumatized again. She's traumatized again. Here's her to- toxic relationship with what's his name. Um, yeah. It's horrible. So we tried to get one in the book, but there was so much there's so much in Jane Eyre that we could work from that it was like impossible to figure out one thing. So if we do another one, we need like a Jane Eyre. Yeah, one. but <laughs> might do a special edition. Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> Jane Eyre erotica for feminists, absolutely. I mean, you could just produce footnotes for these uh, uh, books. Yeah, that were just a feminist companion to whatever <laughs> it is, and uh, would be, I'm sure, very lucrative. Yeah, and this is leaving aside the issues of race and. Uh, I mean, they're in there and to some degree. Yeah. But, I mean, that talk about widening the perspective. So so I we mean, did. Um, yeah. In our original manuscript, we had a couple things that had more, like, that kind of branched out to, like, LGBTQ plus um, things and Black Lives Matter and stuff. But um, our editor had a good note that was like, this is a feminist book, so we need to keep, like, even those even though those things are very much a part of, like, intersectional feminism, we right. need to keep it tight. Um, and keep it focused um, because, and it's also not our place. Like me and all my co-authors are straight women, um, so it's not our place to write from the experience of a woman of color, right? You know, um, or since we're all straight, none of us are queer. Um, it's not our place to write from that perspective. And you're taking on a lot with yeah. this, with this as it is. Um, and how wonderful is it that you can go to the humor section? Of a book and find some. Did you do that as a child? Was that like your favorite part of the bookstore? I think so. Yeah. yeah. You go whether it was Garfield or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and there were other books there too. There were. <laughs> but I loved going to the humor section. Yeah. That was like the one part for me. Yeah. Sometimes I, I loved. Um, oh, I think this was when I was in like high school or college. The stuff white people like. I liked those. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then I found out, like, one of the editors of my book worked on that book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, pretty good. And I was like, oh, I love Stuff Wife. Because she had it, like, in our meeting, she had it on the table. And I was like, I love Stuff Wife. <laughs> I loved that when I was a kid. It spoke to you. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think is the best setup? Now, you read through all the erotica. You wrote the book. Oh, yeah. What do you think is the best setup for an erotic situation, genuine or otherwise? Oh, the best setup. Hmm. Firefighter, pizza delivery. That one has never appealed to me. I think pizza delivery is good. I think it's creepy, but it's like the funniest one. (laughs) If I'm writing like for this book specifically, like this kind of thing, I think that pizza delivery is like the easiest one to (laughs) bring a premise together. Um, But like genuinely, firefighter. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and you have pizza on the cover. We do. So, yeah, and there is a pizza delivery one where the guy just delivers the pizza and you give him the tip and then he leaves and nothing weird happens and then you just go watch The Crown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Pretty good. <laughs> well, uh, uh, 
the book is out now, and do you feel optimistic having written this that you you that things are going to shift? Yeah, they yeah. already have. They already yeah. have. There's things like I can't really talk about yet because they might not even happen, but it's been such is re- the way. Really great. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's really changed my life. Yeah, and yeah. you don't know what it's going to be. You know, we had. Yep. Uh, in comedy, you really can't know because people ask you, "Where do you? What do you want to do? Like, where do you want to be in five years?" I'm like, "I don't know what's going to happen." Yeah, yeah. Anything could happen to me. Anything could happen. You know, uh, we had on our show uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. She mm. she came on and she introduced the the show that we did. We didn't know who she was. We just knew that this uh, representative she was uh, going to run. She was part of a brand new Congress, so she'd introduce a live episode. And this was a year ago before wow. anything happened, and. My gosh, you don't know what's going to happen. But she was solid and on point. We thought, oh, well, she'll, she'll do fine. I don't know whether she's going to topple a Democratic titan, but then she did. And uh, she she really seems to be driving a lot of people crazy. Yeah, my uh, co-author, Fiona Taylor, lives in her district. Oh, And was talking about her, like, long before we really were aware of her. Yeah. <laughs> like, she wasn't really on my radar. I mean, as much as she... Like, I'm a New Yorker, so she was, like, kind of on my radar, yes. but my co-author was like, oh, like, this woman is, like, amazing. Yeah. Very cool. Keep but going. But I remember even she was surprised that she won. <laughs> and she was like, I voted for her. I did not think she was going to win. <laughs> That's really amazing. Well, uh, I'm working on gratitude for 2019. Oh. So uh, I'm in a workshop now about it, and I want to express my thanks to you. Oh, thank you. For writing you. the book, for being part of this, thanks to your other co-writers. Um uh, and one of the things that I want to say I appreciate is your take on pop culture. Thank I always you. look to your uh, tweets and I think, oh, that's a movie I got to check out, got to give a second look to, got to. Wow. I understand it in a more complete way. So, thank you. Well, thank I you. really appreciate that. <laughs> I spent a lot of hard work as a child not doing my homework and watching TV and film instead. Well, it shows. Ant Man <laughs> and the Wasp. Yes, please. It was fun. It was fun. Like I, I'm mostly mocking it when I say it was like one of the best movies of the year. But I, I liked it. It was enjoyable. I even liked Infinity War. I love the MCU. Yeah. I love MCU movies. I could watch it over and over. I've watched again. Thor Ragnarok over ten times. That I was love a it. great one. It's that's a great. It, one. it is honestly <laughs> now when people ask me what my favorite movie is, my favorite movie of all time is Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> I'm not joking. Well, I want to write a screenplay with Taika Waititi. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it could happen. I think we'd be a good match. He, I put him in the acknowledgments in the book. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> Thank I you. thought that's the kind of thing that's uh, smart. You got to put it out there. He could put read it on it. the vision board. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> 100%. Well, I wish you all the success with it and uh, with whatever comes next. Thank and you. I hope you have a wonderful year. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This was very fun. There you have it. I hope you'll pick up a copy of the book. It's very light, so it's easy to do. Pick up two. Still not a workout. New Erotica for Feminists is terrific, and my thanks to Carrie for joining me. Personalized reading this week goes out to Ernest Joins of Terra Flats, New Mexico. Even though those things are very much a part of like intersectional feminism, we right. need to keep it tight. And lucky numbers this week are 3, 4, and 18. The number of copies of books you should buy, the times I'm going to declare this season the year of the woman on Deep Night, and the age I was when I first discovered the erotic potential of turtlenecks. Remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is produced by James Bewley. Season 11 podcast icon designed by Candace Broers. My Deep Night theme by Zach Gabbard. Music heard throughout the show is provided by the talented roster at Haller Hills Farm in Ohio. Plus some other stuff at the top that Dale just finds online and downloads to a secret folder. Poster artwork this season provided by Ronald Horn Industries, Maria Wen, and Scott Balmer, among others. Live shows every other month at... The Slipper Room. Studio services provided by Harvestworks in New York City. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and catch some of the episodes on YouTube. Now, it's time to close up the portal and leave you with Gaia's blessings. Good night. <laughs>